Hello! Thank you for listening to the Theatrical Mustang Podcast. I'm Olina Hodges, and this is episode 76. I was so excited to sit down with today's guest, Cheerston Rose Anderson. I met Cheerston on Whidbey Island just after she'd closed a run at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival and just before I moved down to Ashland. Five years later, I had the joy to share the stage with her in OSF's recent all-female production of The Two Gentlemen of Verona. Cheerston is here today to discuss ACT Theater's current collaborative production of Assassins with the Fifth Avenue Theater, in which she plays the role of Emma Goldman. Stephen Sondheim's Assassins imagines the interactions of America's successful and attempted presidential assassins and looks at parallels among these historical characters. We talk about the relevance of this musical in today's political climate and how it makes us consider our Second Amendment rights. We also talk about the irreverence and humor in the production and how that affects us as audience members. Assassins runs now through April 7th, and tickets are available through acttheater.org. And that's A-C-T, theater with an R-E, dot org. Thank you so much. Enjoy. Thank you to today's sponsor, Island Shakespeare Festival. ISF is Whidbey Island's professional regional repertory theater. Their 2016 summer season runs July 8th to September 11th with As You Like It, directed by artistic director Susanna Rose Woods, Julius Caesar, directed by award-winning Seattle director Corey McDaniel, who's also the producing artistic director of Theater 22, and finally Julie Beckman will direct her award-winning adaptation of Jane Eyre, which premiered at Book It Rep in 1999. For more information about Island Shakespeare Festival, visit their website at www.islandshakespearefest.org and check out their Facebook page. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Theatrical Mustang podcast. This is Olina today, and I'm super excited to have as our guest uh, Cheerston Rose Anderson. She's a fave of mine. We work together at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival in No Gents, hashtag No Gents, slash the two gentlemen of Verona. Um, And she is currently playing Emma Goldman. Emma Goldman in Assassins at uh, the... Fifth Avenue slash ACT production mm-hmm. of Assassins, which uh, Katie and I saw opening. Yeah. And it was it's a fantastic production. I've been wanting to see that play for years and years and years, and I'm really glad it's happening in Seattle right now. Um, so we just started to jump into a conversation before we started recording. Yeah, yeah but, totally. Um, uh, my first question is just Assassins right now in our in our political climate and environment it's an election year and there's a lot of heated there's a lot going there's on there's a lot of heat <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of heat <laughs> yes, surrounding this election yeah. Uh, so yeah if you can kind of talk about that and how that sure doing such a political show right now is yeah i mean obviously on. it's an election year so we're thinking a lot about what it means to be a president or what kind of person we would want to have be a president and this is a play about um, people who have attempted to or succeeded in assassinating a president. <laughs> so it's very heated. It can it can be pretty intense. Um, in the rehearsal process, we primarily talked about gun control. So there's a song in the in the musical called "The Gun Song," and it's four different assassins who come out one by one 
and talk about their relationship to their gun mm. and what they think about it, what it can do for them, um, how it was made. Um, and they each have a solo and then they have a barbershop quartet kind of celebrating their gun and it talks all you all you need to do is move your little finger, pull your little finger back and you can change the world. So I think there's this sense um, in... As Americans, we really love our Second Amendment right as a, as a whole. Mm-hmm. Maybe not all of us, but <laughs> as a whole, it seems to be something we've really clung to. Um, and this relationship to guns and violence, gun violence, like what does that, what does that mean to us as a society and how has it affected how these people were able to do the things that they did? And while we were rehearsing, there were at least two mass shootings during the rehearsal process. And how and, long was that rehearsal process? Uh, it was four weeks, one month. Mm-hmm. So um, there was one in Kalamazoo. Um, I don't remember where the other one is, unfortunately, where it was. But uh, yeah, so it's a violent time, right? And yeah. we talk about this a lot. We talk about gun control and we talk about um, this idea of like, I can do something. If I'm disenfranchised, I can do something with a gun. And in the instance of this play, it is about uh, trying to kill presidents. And I think, you know, that may continue to be happening. I'm not really sure what kind of plots are going on out there. But but it's happening to just, like, people at the mall, you know, just getting killed. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we talked about that a lot. We talked about violence and what does that mean to us and guns. And and I actually recently... uh, just a couple of days ago, I think, in a, at a Donald Trump rally, um, there was a protester who was sort of storming the podium, and the Secret Service had to sort of kind of leapt up and to protect Donald Trump and get him off the stage. He also canceled the rally recently in Chicago due to protesters and his um, uh, supporters getting into violent altercations. So it's a very charged time. I think it's really interesting. Um all this in a big stew, you know? Yeah. <laughs> in a big stew and and how... And so even if it's not a direct commentary on our political climate today, it reflects our political climate of today and, yeah, and the violence therein. Yeah, So Yeah. Yeah, we talked about that quite a bit. Yeah. And, I mean, my role <laughs> as Emma Goldman... So Emma Goldman was an anarchist revolutionary, the turn of the last century. So she was born in 1869 and and, um, immigrated to the United States from Russia. And so uh, she really believed that government in and of itself was oppressive. Mm. And Leon Shulgosh, who is one of the assassins in the play, he killed William McKinley in 1912, I think it was. And he was a, um, he worked in a bottle factory and he has a long monologue about working in a bottle factory and getting paid like five cents an hour to work in like horrendous conditions where he's like, his hands are burning off and just uh, all this awful stuff. And it was a time when like labor was really unregulated and there was a lot of abuse of um, factory workers, etc. And uh, they had a couple of brief meetings, but because of her political orientation and her, like, constant campaigning against the government. Like, the there was a lot of 
kind of blaming her for what he did. Um, and who knows? Maybe it was a plot. Like, they don't know. I mean, Leon mm. Shulgash himself denied it. She denied it. I read her autobiography, and in the autobiography, she had met him a couple of times, but under an assumed name and didn't know who he was. But, uh, but yeah, it seems like his assassination in particular was motivated by being disenfranchised in terms of money. Mm-hmm. And then we look at today, and people, and you know, the 2008 housing crash, like people lose their entire life savings, and then what? There's no repercussion. There's no punishment. Yeah. So, I think the play is so interesting, um, just in its structure, bringing these different assassins together who, throughout history, have you know their social climates and everything were were different mm-hmm. at different times in American history. But seeing the parallels and what ties them together, and then the final scene where you know they all have this common goal is I think so fascinating and and forces us to look at what that is today and how does that relate to today and when was when was it written originally I think it was, it was... in 90 it's either 1993 or 1996 okay so um it is a play that doesn't really have a linear narrative mm-hmm. it's like all these figures plucked out of time and put into this strange limbo where Mm -hmm. they all interact with each other. So, um, and then the last scene that you mentioned, which is um, all the assassins like John Wilkes Booth and uh, Leon Shulgosh and um, uh, what's his name? Charles Gateau and all the assassins come together and they are all trying to convince Lee Harvey Oswald to kill JFK. So, (laughs) it is really interesting because it's similar to Sondheim's Into the Woods. So, in Into the Woods, which is a more popular piece of his, um, which was made into a movie a couple years ago. Um, And which you played Little Red in. Yes. At the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. True. Was that 2014? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And so, uh, similarly to Into the Woods, you, you take all these... So in Into the Woods, you take all these fairy tale characters and you kind of put them all right. in the woods yeah. together. I hadn't really noticed that. Yeah. yeah, well, they were written. That's totally yeah. Into yeah. the Woods was first, and then he wrote oh, Assassins funny. right after it. So that's so interesting too. Yeah, yeah. I th- I found that really interesting. So this this idea of kind of like plucking these people out of their native environment, whether it's a literary environment or historical environment, and putting them all together, yeah. like. Like, I, I talk about, like, assassins in a blender. Like, what would happen if we just put all of them together and yeah. just, like, hit go? Like, what's going to happen? Or or all these fairy tale characters and all, you know, right. s- slap them together and see how they interact with each other. So it's kind of like that. So it has, it's not a very linear story. It's more of an experiential story, I would say. Mm-hmm. We get a sense of each character, why they did what they did, what happened to them musically. Mm-hmm. And also the music will be taken from the time period that the assassin comes from, which is super interesting if you're if you're into music history yeah. or understand anything about that, which I don't really, but it's interesting to think about. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, how are they similar? Are they driven by politics? Are they driven by pure insanity? There are a couple of characters. Um, John Hinckley tried to kill Ronald Reagan, and Lynette Fromm tried to kill Gerald Ford. They were both unsuccessful. 
Um, but John Hinckley was famous for being obsessed with Jodie Foster. He, like, she went to Yale. He followed her there. Um, would go to her dorm, send her letters, call her, watched Taxi Driver like 16 times, you know. You know, pretty um, disturbing stuff. Uh, he is still in a mental hospital. And Lynette from was a part of the, the Manson family. So right. they both had... Um, they both had obsessions with these public figures. And so their their song they sing, they sing it together, and it's called Unworthy of Your Love. So they're both obsessing about this person, Jodie Foster or Charlie Manson, and if I can just do this amazing thing, I can I can show them, you know, that I'm worthy. Mm-hmm. You know. So so there's that and how do they relate to each other and yeah, so it's a super interesting, weird jazz riff of history in this super dark time, mm-hmm. super dark theme, but also hilarious, weirdly. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, going back to uh, the parallels with Into the Woods, Yeah, I, it just occurred to me how we treat these characters in history, mm-hmm. and in comparison to how we treat a fairy tale character in history. And so even though they've done these atrocious things, I'm air quoting, mm-hmm. you know, to them it was totally justified. Mm-hmm. But in the history books, they become these glorified characters. Mm-hmm. So it's so interesting to think of this being written, you know, so closely with um, Into the Woods and yeah. how each are treated. So, yeah, I would say that to me, Into the Woods... Because in fairy tales, everyone has a wish, and then mm-hmm. they get their wish, and that's the first act, is all about the, the characters right. going to get their wish. And then the second act is like, now what? Mm-hmm. I got what I wanted, now what? You know? Yeah. Or in the case of Little Red Riding Hood, I get attacked by a wolf, and then I get freed by the forest guy, Forrester, mm-hmm. wood chopping the man. man. Yeah, yeah, woodsman man. <laughs> and then like the question is... Yeah, that's usually when the story ends. Right. And to me, the interesting thing about Into the Woods was like, and then what? And so then you have this little girl who's been severely traumatized and kind of goes crazy. Like, she she kind of loses it a little bit. So, you know, Cinderella gets the prince, mm-hmm. and that's usually the end of the story. But what does it mean to, like, live with a guy that you barely know who just, like, chased you down with a shoe, you know? Like, yeah. what happens yeah. after that? So I think some it, it, it's, it parallels in that, it asks the questions that maybe we don't usually ask mm-hmm. about these stories. So, we know that Leon Shogosh killed William McKinley. We know that Charles Guiteau killed James Garfield. Why? What were they thinking? Mm-hmm. And what would it be like to live in the consequences of that? And we talked a lot in rehearsal about... Um, why these characters are all together and why they continue to relive their acts. Hmm. Yeah. So there was this idea of limbo, and it's actually described as limbo in the script. It'll be like, right. scene 14, limbo. You know, that's yeah. like where we are. Oh, cool. So I had this, I, I, I thought a lot about like purgatory or, yeah. or poltergeist. So this idea of a poltergeist, which is like a spirit who has had a strongly negative experience and continues to relive it over and over and over again. That's my understanding of what a poltergeist is that may be and is likely not a totally complete understanding, but I thought it was interesting to think about these people trying to come to terms with 
or prove to the audience that what they did was justified or share with them the reasons why or the motivations behind Mm -hmm. that. Because usually we see, we hear, you know, about uh, somebody having a mass murder or a a mass shooting Mm -hmm. and, and we learn like, we learned they were on this medication or they just got divorced or they got their guns from their aunt or they were a troubled child. And, and it seems very two-dimensional in a way. Yeah. And we also, uh, and maybe rightly so, kind of demonize them and, and then go about our, and then eat our cereal, you know, while we're watching CNN. But, yeah. but I think the interesting thing about the musical is that we really get to delve a little bit more into, like, who are these people? And they're funny and weird and there's been some question about, is this a musical that glorifies these presidential assassins? Yeah. The humor in it is so interesting. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. And, and opening night, it's an opening night audience. They were pretty laughy. Mm-hmm. Has that continued to be? Mm-hmm. I, this was like our text analysis script at Yappy at Studio East, Young Actors, Professional Intensive at Studio East, when I was there in 2000. I don't know, four or five. Um, and we talked, I remember reading it and, and the humor's inherent in it. Yeah. Like, that's in the text. Yeah. I was having a conversation with Ada Karamanian after we saw the show. And she was saying, um, she was wondering if the audience will continue to respond in that way. If, if there is that much humor in it. If that's how the script is dealing with these characters and these circumstances. Um, and it, yeah, so what do you think? <laughs> well, I think, um, I think it is in there. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the scene work, so there's a lot of music in the show. And some of it, and, and I think most of the music isn't inherently funny. Like when it's irreverent. The music, there's a lot of irreverence in it. Irreverence, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, but I wouldn't say like, ha ha funny. I think right. the ha ha funny stuff is with the scene work. Yeah. Yeah. Which is primarily, and I think wonderfully and interestingly, primarily between the women. So you have uh, Sarah Jane Moore. an interesting point. Yeah. I haven't noticed that, but yes. So Sarah Jane Moore and Squeaky Fromm are the only two female attempted assassins. They both tried to kill Gerald Ford in 1975. Uh, Like I said before, Lynette Fromm was a member of the Manson family, and Sarah Jane Moore was a housewife. (laughs) And so there's a lot of, there are... uh, three, I think, scenes, two or three scenes between the two of them. And they're both kind of whacked out. You know, they're yeah. wacky. <laughs> Weirdos. You know, one is like going on and on and on about Charlie Manson and, and the other one's from Charlotte. Or where is she from? Oh, geez. She is from Charleston, West Virginia, I believe. And that is where Charlie Manson was actually from. So you have this imaginary world where these two women actually interact, and they're both nuts as heck. <laughs> they're totally crazy. And so it's hilarious because mm-hmm. you have these two wackos, like, going on and on and on about their lives and just shooting at a box of chicken with their gun, or, a you know, one of those KFC yeah. bucket, bucket yeah. of chicken with yeah. their guns and stuff. And, and so it's, there's a lot of humor in it. And... Uh, and and the way um what's her name you just said it Sarah Jane Moore or, yeah, yeah yeah the way Sarah Jane Moore is portrayed in the play mm-hmm. it, you know she's 
there's an element of impotence to everyone, I think. Uh -huh. um, certainly with Squeaky Farm and um, Jane. John Hinckley. John Hinckley. Yeah. Um, but her too, Sarah Jane Moore, also is constantly like misfiring her gun and... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, can't, I think she says shit more often than any other word probably in the play. Yeah. And, like, can't just focus to do it and get it right. And I, that is seems really um, to be a through line as well, this, like... Yeah, this sense of, like, not quite being able to get it together. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And that's kind of funny to watch people it's struggle really to get it together <laughs> and, like, be awful at it. Yeah. And also be like, you know, probably crazy, yeah. you know, that can be really, really funny. Um, but I think that's really interesting, that idea of like impotence throughout the play, because yeah. we talked a lot about disenfranchisement and, mm -hmm. and this promise of the American dream right. of, you know, um, what is it? Uh, everybody's got the right to be happy. Mm -hmm. um, don't stay mad. Life's not as bad as it seems. Anybody can prevail. Everybody's free to fail. No one can be put in jail for their dream. So that's uh, some of the first lyrics mm -hmm. that we hear in the play. So this idea of there's this dream of if you work hard and you do the right thing, you will be rewarded. Right. And what if you feel like you're doing that and you're not? And then you, you know, sprinkle on some mental illness <laughs> or some, like, awful family or drugs or... Right. Whatever. Whatever that is. Whatever, whatever it is. that perfect storm that yeah. other ingredient is. Which... Yeah, and you just can't quite see that that is possible for you. Yeah. And then we have this American tradi tradition and love of firearms and accessibility. Mm -hmm. We're so they're so accessible. Um, you can change the world with a gun. And what happens when all that gets into a swirl, to me, is one of the, the big themes of the show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, so it's, it is funny, but there's definitely this underlying sense. And it's so funny, like, when people laugh, or in one instance, right before I come on stage, so I'm in the show very briefly, but I, right before I come on stage... Giuseppe Zangara attempted to kill uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. He was unsuccessful, but he did uh, kill the mayor of Chicago, who was at the event that FDR was at in Miami. He was then electrocuted. His song in the show is basically him in the electric chair, right about to die. The play, the song ends with him being electrocuted while singing this amazing note, and it's incredible. It's a tour de force. <laughs> And then the audience sometimes erupts into applause. And it's so ironic and strange. And, and it, it just it, it feels weird. Yeah. We just watched a man die mm -hmm. while giving an amazing performance. Right. And he deserves to be applauded for his performance. And yet, I don't know. Yeah. Or are we applauding for him dying? Yeah. It's interesting. Well, it feels like breaking the tension and that's what a lot of the laughter feels like to me too mm, yeah. it's so it's so uncomfortable and i th and that's the point mm -hmm. i think it's intentionally so uncomfortable and irreverent a lot of the time and there's this like 
I think this is a play that watching it, that suspension of disbelief is like, there's a very fine line of how <laughs> much we're willing to join in and like experience this play and experience the music and appreciate it and ha- like, um, and, and how much we have to keep ourselves separate and like remind ourselves we're watching a play. Right. You know? Like this is a play and we are watching actors be these characters and they're singing pretty mm-hmm. and yay. Mm-hmm. Good job. You know? Yeah. It, yeah. Whereas some theater you go to and you like are so immersed. Mm-hmm. Um, you can lose yourself. Yeah. Yeah. This does not feel like a show where we're allowed to do that. Where yeah. we allow ourselves to do that. I think you certainly yeah. could. And if a person yeah. was watching this by themselves, I wonder how different their reaction would be. Mm-hmm. But because as an audience member, you are also experiencing it with a whole room of other people. Mm-hmm. And how you react is going to affect how your neighbor reacts mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. um, the energy that you're giving to the actors. I think Seattle audiences, especially for ACT, for ACT, are like pretty good audience members. Yeah, I want yeah. to give. Yeah. I would say that's true. So I just wonder, like, how the experience would be different if we got to experience it um, individually. Personally. Sure, sure, and and I think that the play demands humor in a way because yeah. otherwise the the source material is so dark you just kind of would fall into an awful little pit. <laughs> yeah, and that the last scene too. I think we have to have permission to laugh up until the last, the last scene, because otherwise it's so much heavy, and, like, actually the situations that we're encountering are, like, really fucked up and sad, and the people that are just disenfranchised and what they feel they need to do, like, that's all really heavy to watch for a couple hours, and then we encounter this last scene that's, like, really uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. That is still... I I certainly wasn't alive when JFK was assassinated, but yeah. I have heard other people talk about what that was and how um, violating that was for the whole country. Sure. So to encounter that scene, I think the irreverence that's a part of the rest of the play like has to be there. Totally. Like you for, have to you have to laugh, make them laugh so you can shove the truth down their throat. Right, exactly. <laughs> that's what they yeah. say. Uh, yeah. yeah, I totally think that it is balanced in that way. So you have all this hijinks and hilarity, and then you have this long scene uh, with um, Lee Harvey Oswald leading up to the assassination, assassination of JFK. And interestingly, immediately following the assassination of JFK in the play, there's a song called Something Just Broke. Yeah. Which is about, it's this idea of like where I was when the president right. was shot. Yeah. And we all have that if we were alive and remember 9-11. Yes. Like, if we think about 9-11, yes. I know where I was. I know yep. exactly where I was, what I was doing, yep. what happened, how I found out, yep. um, th- what I was doing that morning leading up to... I mean, we live on the West Coast, so... I mean, I just I distinctly remember. School. Yeah, I remember yeah. I was blow-drying my hair. and I, Yeah. Yep. yep. I was driving to school and didn't turn the news on. And I was like, why is everyone driving so slowly? This is so weird. And then there was like a thing that said the airport's closed. I was like, that's weird. And I went to school and then somebody told me. I was like, oh my, you know, it was like, yeah. you know, it's just yeah. all of a sudden everything's yep. different. Yep. And something just broke 
Right. That's Something such broke. a great, thank you for bringing up that analogy because it is, I, I couldn't pinpoint what it was for me that was so relevant about that song. Mm -hmm. I was like really emotional after that moment and like hearing that was personal for me and I couldn't figure out why, mm -hmm. but that, that's why. Yes, we do have that. Yeah, now. we totally, yes. we totally have that. And, and that song actually was not in the original Broadway production of Assassins. It was in, it was put into the revival because my understanding is that there was no other song or event or moment in the play that allows us as audience members to experience what the everyday American person would have experienced having heard about the President Humping shot or seen it on the news or, you know, yeah. whatever time period you happen to be in, you know, right. how you receive that information, yeah. what that was like, what I was doing, where I yeah. was. I'm not exactly sure when the revival was, but I am curious to know if, well, it, if was it was after. Yeah, it was because um, we, we were studying it at Yaffe because we were going to see it in New York. Oh. It closed just before we went. But so, to, yes, it was after 9-11. There you go. And uh, so that was 2005. Yeah, and Kendra Cassebaum, who plays Sarah Jane Moore, uh -huh. was in the Broadway revival, and she sang Something Just Broke mm -hmm. in, on Broadway, and we're so lucky to have her. Yeah. I mean, she's an amazing human and a brilliant actress, and her voice is just amazing. Uh, yes. And <laughs> bone-chillingly beautiful and just emotional. I mean, I could go on. But uh, <laughs> so, so I think that... Um, I think that it's really cool that we have that moment in the play. Absolutely. It's very cathartic. Yeah. And, and, and there's no mistaking that we are always considering what it means to be an American, just a normal American yeah. living with the threat of violence or political tension or both um, yeah. in our current in our current time period. Because I think otherwise you could imagine that this is just a wacky musical about assassins and then we kill a JFK and then we're done, you know? Right, yeah. <laughs> but but taking that song out of it in my brain makes it a lot harder to sit with. After, mm. like, if I think of it without that moment of, like... Release. In, yeah, release and, and feeling the audience all breathe together in... Mm into that like okay now yes thank you we need to have that balance and acknowledgement that like this isn't all happy and joyful and yay yeah. for assassins yeah like, yeah it does affect all of us mm -hmm. but taking that out of it is like much more abrasive mm -hmm. and uncomfortable I think well and I think even even now there one actor had been I guess you would say accosted by an audience member who felt so violently, uh, I guess, violated by the show because she felt like um, it's not funny, this is offensive. Um, how can you, how can you portray these people like people? Uh -huh. You know, yeah. And there's also a lot of gunshots in the show, yes. which is alarming. Yes. And um, it's alarming for me, and I'm. In it all the Are time. those written in to the... Oh, yeah. Every single one? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yes, I believe so. Yep, they're written into the script. And I think there are... I don't know if we do all live gunshots, 
We may. It sounded like it. I think, it felt like it. I think they may all be. If they're not, then they're very, very. There's uh, there's only a couple, handful that are uh, sound effect. And I think it would only be because if the actor used live gunfire, they would be too close to mm-hmm. another actor or an audience member. Yeah. So for safety reasons, I think a couple of them aren't live. But a lot of them are. And it's alarming. <laughs> it is alarming. Especially. becomes another character. Yes. Absolutely. Right. Right, and that was kind of, I think, John, the director, John Langs, talked a lot about um, about that, mm-hmm. about the character of the gun and our relationship with the gun as Americans. And yeah. and he's also, this is his first show as the new artistic director of Act Theater. He's incredible. Um, yeah, I can't speak highly enough of him. Um, and, and I'm glad that you think that, because it means that that idea is coming across. Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I think... And especially the last one, you know, sure. we've yeah. had, yeah, it's like we all fire at once. Yeah. I also think it's interesting. I mean, not to give it away. Cause I really do think people should come see this show. Um, I do too. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but yeah. at the beginning in the pre-show music, if you go see the show, you might notice that there's a lot of fireworks, sounds of fireworks in the pre-show music right before the show starts, before the turn off your cell phone announcement mm-hmm. happens. And then the last moment of the show is a gunshot. And they it's hard for them to all do it at once. So it staggers. And it sounds to me like fireworks. It does. And I mean fireworks. That's what they're... Yeah. They're, simul- they're simulating gunshot. And, and so even the way we celebrate right. our country And our to independence. Be, our independence our is independence. celebrated yep. through the sound of gunshots. Yes. So it's so deep inside of us. Um... So I always, I've always thought that that was super interesting. It is. Just the way it looks at, I mean, hold the mirror up to nature. Like, yeah. let's look at how we feel about guns mm-hmm. and who's allowed to have them and who's not. Like, we're all allowed to have them. Yeah. And is that... Is that a good what thing? Do, what does what that does say? That yeah. Yeah, what does that mean yeah. about us as Americans? Yeah. And, yeah. And I think I, that's what I love about it so much is that it... Um, it looks at all of these things in such a different way than we are taught to look at them and to consider them that like you can't help but walk away from it really thinking about your own relationship to politics and to guns mm-hmm. and to violence and mm-hmm. how we're all affected by that daily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw this. This was the first Sondheim play I actually ever saw when I was 14 years old. I saw it and... First of all, I was completely blown away that a musical could be dark and clever and um, that the music could feel so seamlessly integrated Mm -hmm. into everything else, which I think is one of the great gifts of Sondheim. I always feel like when I see or experience or I'm in a Sondheim play, the music comes directly out of the soul of the character. You know, it's not like... It's all need driven it's just like i only can communicate this through music right totally so it's not it's nothing like an andrew lloyd webber where it's like we have a scene we have a scene beautiful song you know (laughs) which is great um but to me for my taste i love that need driven like you said coming right out of the narrative of the story and the and the characters um and then uh and then it was also so interesting because I didn't know this history as a 14-year-old. I don't recall integrating it into my 
into my memory banks. Mm -hmm. Maybe I had learned it, but I didn't remember it. And then when I saw this musical, you know, it's just the experience is so strong. It it just is really palpable. Mm -hmm. And then also singing something just broke to an audience of people who remember JFK being killed. It's really powerful. Really, really intense. Yeah, I just remember feeling super duper emotional. I'm also like the uh, the the actor that's closest to the front of the stage during that time, and so I'm I'm literally just looking into people's faces and singing about yeah about um, you know being told that the the president's dead. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's your character is such an interesting like device in the play too. You're the only one uh, the. You're the only one that's not an assassin that's not separate from the story. Because there's the carnival guy. Yeah, so there's the, pr- the proprietor. proprietor. Yeah, yeah. The, so uh, Nick DeSantis plays the proprietor who basically sets everything in motion. So he starts yeah. the play with a song about come here and kill the president. And he gives everyone their guns. And he's sort of, he's kind of a puppet mastery type of character. So he and John Wilkes Booth seem to be the ones who are orchestrating and facilitating this whole mm-hmm. limbo world and reliving this experience. Um, so the proprietor is um, not an assassin, and uh, the balladeer is not an assassin, mm-hmm. but then he becomes Lee Harvey Oswald in the story. Right. Um, but yeah, my character is not an assassin. Um, it's so interesting because literally I, I, I'm on for one scene and I have this scene with Shogosh and uh and then I'm pretty much done and I think I would have been in the chorus but every single chorus number there's a chorus number right before the scene and there's a chorus <laughs> number immediately following the scene so it didn't make sense yeah. for me to be yeah. in either of them there was no time for me to do that and then also right. do the scene so yeah. I, it ended up being just like okay well, I guess I'm I'm like the guest actor in this play, in this play. <laughs> Which is so wonderful, and the scene's deeply moving to me, yeah. and I learned so much about Emma Goldman that I had never known about before, that she was really, uh, the, to me, the, an educated, um, intelligent, uh, cogent, cohesive voice for the disenfranchised of, the, of her time. She was also like a free love advocate. She advocated for birth control. She was a midwife, so she would go into um, poor people's homes and help them deliver children. And she would see these women with five kids, and the husband's dead, or he's abusive, or they just can't afford more children. And she's thinking to herself, why? <laughs> why are these women forced to have these babies, or these families forced to have these babies? Um, and she would be arrested for passing out pamphlets for birth control and so she's a multifaceted person and um so I feel like there's a great gift to be able to learn more about her and also and also it's interesting because Leon Shulgosh has a long arc in the play like several of the other assassins have like one song and then they're done he has uh, a scene and then the he's part of the gun song and then he has his um, and then the song about him. So he has a very long arc. And the play is only an hour and 45 minutes long, so <laughs> so there's not a ton of time. So if, if we're spending a lot of time on this one guy, why? And I would say it's because, to me, he, when he, before he was killed, he said, I did it for the people. 
I did it for the people. I think, though likely and most likely disturbed, he seemed to have a political reason for what he did. Mm. Yeah. John Wilkes Booth also did. He ended up on the wrong side of history, big time. <laughs> big time. Um, but, uh, but Sholgosh, in a way, wasn't. Because we do have unions now. We do have laws about labor. You have to pay people a living wage, um, at least in this country, to have them work for you. So, so I, I, I am curious about that. I don't know what the writer's intention was, but, but I felt, it felt cool to me to be a part of that arc. Mm-hmm. That's a really interesting point, I think, too. Just um, the motivations and the, the personal motivations of each character of each assassin in real history. Um, but that, yeah, being a voice, like, actually for the people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's unfortunate that he felt to, that he would have to kill the president yeah. to do that. And also Emma Goldman defended political violence. She really did. There's not really any way around it. <laughs> I'd like to say that she was like a peacenik, but she was not. She um, she thought that that people were moved to violence out of desperation, and that that must be considered when we look at these situations mm-hmm. and what is causing them. And I think that's something we could still uh, it would still serve us to consider. Yeah. When we look at violence, politically motivated and otherwise, of today. Like, what is going on here? You know, what's causing that? Yeah. So, yeah, I feel really fortunate to be with this group of actors and to be able to do the scene. And, um, yeah, and in, in the scene, the, the story is that he, Leon Shulgash, is in love with her. So, and I'm... Uh, I I was surprised to even get cast in this part because usually I don't know when I think of Emma Goldman I think of the of, uh, Maureen Stapleton played Emma Goldman in this movie called Reds by Warren Beatty in the eighties and she's like she was like a big woman chain smoker she was kind of like a bulldog you know and <laughs> and you know brilliant and beautiful and wonderful but also like when I think when I think of her that's usually what I think of. Um, like a woman, an older woman in uh-huh. her 50s, like a character woman, um, which I definitely consider myself a character actress, but I'm, you know, I'm younger, I'm in my 30s, and and John Langs had said um, that he considered her to be the romantic lead of the show. Like, uh-huh. isn't that imaginative to think of, like, yeah. Emma Goldman, anarchist revolutionary, as, as a romantic? Yeah. So there is that sense of it, too, of unrequited love or... Uh-huh. Yeah, there's, that's a, I think, a recurring theme in this play. Yeah. You know, unrequited love, or Mm -hmm. how do I find my place? Yeah. Yeah, so. Searching for place, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, That's great. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) This has been a really great conversation, and I want to come see it again. Awesome. Yeah, please do. Um, Yeah, we'll be going until May 8th is our closing. Great. So, um. We're at Act Theater on 7th and Union. Don't go to the 5th Avenue because it's not playing there. It's not. My, it's not where it's My playing. uncle and my auntie went. We, they came to the show last night, and though they went to the wrong oh, theater. No. <laughs> so, yeah. Come to, the, come to Act, 7th and Union. That's where the play is. Um, 
tickets online available. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh, I don't know what the... We'll put a link to it. Oh, cool. <laughs> put, the, put the link in. We'll put a link. Um, yeah. Great. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank yeah. you so much for having me. Fantastic it's production. It's awesome. Thank please you. Please tell the cast and crew. We loved it. We Yeah. Katie awesome. and I both just talked a lot about it. Cool. Afterwards and I'm glad. It's, it's stuck with me still. Awesome. I, I keep thinking about it and... You know, more and more. Every yeah, day. I mean, I did too. I mean, from the age of 14 to 34, yeah. I thought about it a lot. Yeah. And then, you know, I asked John if I could be in his play, and it worked out. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. cool. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. For coming Thanks on, on me. Whitby. Yeah. You bet. Yeah.